once again welcome in the house of the Lord. <clears throat> the song we've just sung here was composed by Mary Ann Baker. She lived in the 18th century in Chicago in America and uh, the family had just lost both parents. They had briefing problems and uh, the only brother they had left began to suffer from the same condition. So he moved out of Chicago to go somewhere else where the climate was hotter, warmer. Not long after, he died too. It was a godly family, faithful Christians, and uh, Mary did not understand what was going on. And she said she was deeply challenged in her faith. And she said, Lord, why don't you care for me and for mine? Now, the sorrow was even deeper because their own health was deteriorating as well, and they did not have enough money to pay for the return of the body to Chicago to bury their brother. So it was complete darkness and despair. Out of that, she composed that song, Master the Tempest is Raging. Don't you care that we are perishing? Heavenly Father, we bless your name once again. We thank you, Lord, for inviting us in your home, in your house. You are the master of your house, the head of the body. We recognize, we acknowledge, we accept happily and freely your headship and your lordship upon our heart, upon our lives, oh Lord. Rabbi, teacher, Yeshua. Lord, we love you for you loved us first and also because you poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit the same love that we return to you with gratefulness in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the redemption. Yes, Lord, as Jeff prayed, the redemption of our souls is costly. No one can redeem himself, Lord. We thank you for what you have done for us, Lord. And as we come together, Lord, see our hesitations, our limitations, Lord, we just depend on you. And pray that, Lord, the Holy Spirit will lead us as we speak and as we hear that the church will be edified unto your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please turn with me. I will tell you in a moment. The title of the topic for this morning, The Good Fight of Faith. I must say that it was very, very difficult to find the topic this time, to find the title. Yeah. But 
You know, remember how Jude wrote to the believers and asked them to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. But which faith are we talking about? And what is faith anyway? And why do we need faith? You see, Jude's intention was not to talk about faith. He had purpose to talk to them, to write to them about salvation, to explain salvation. But then he found that there was another problem. Deceitful workers were perverting the gospel. He used the expression lewdness. Lewdness or lewdness? Lewdness. Lavishness. Licentiousness. English is good. <laughs> but those are very, very deep words. They are words we cannot use normally. I'm going to give you an example of what it means. What about someone standing at the roundabout and asking to commit immorality with everyone publicly? That's the kind of word is being used by Jude. And that's what the deceitful workers are doing. Putting the Lord to shame publicly and without limits. And Jude said, I need to talk about that. I will come back to salvation after because he was writing to the believers. So he wrote to them that they should contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all, once for all, delivered to the saints. Friends, the faith we're talking about today, we did not start it. We inherited it was passed on to us. And we have the duty to faithfully contend for it and pass on to other generations faithfully. But it's not easy. For when the foundation is being destroyed, what shall the righteous do? Whilst we're looking at symptoms, the enemy is attacking our foundation. How do we acquire faith? By the hearing of the word of God. The word itself is under attack by deceitful workers, by outsiders and insiders. The Lord Jesus referred to wolves disguised as sheep, doing the dirty work from inside to weaken the message of the gospel. Our main scripture today, please turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, and we're reading from verse 35 to 41. Mark chapter, chapter 4, 35 to 41. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. 
and the other little boats were also with him. 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amen. Now, I know Many of us have heard sermon on this. I don't think I will bring anything new to what you already know. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's a very, very difficult passage. You see, the kind of passage, when you look the harmony, you compare with the account in Luke chapter 8 from verse 22 and Matthew 8 verse 22, there's nothing new when you try to understand what is going on. Any, any more light, any more clarity, there is none. You try to check Bible commentary, there's nothing. And all the commentators are repeating exactly the same thing. It's very short for the whole passage. So there's nothing. Hence my warning. If you don't hear anything new today, Peace be still. <laughs> Forgive me. But we will try to see, comparing with other scriptures, and see where we go. My understanding is that the key topic here is faith. Is faith. He's talking about faith. The broader context here. In the previous chapter, passage, the Lord has been teaching for a very long time a multitude. He's just been teaching about the parable of the sower and revealed to us the various challenges and problems and irresponsibility sometimes, the reason for the work not growing in us, the reason for stagnation in our lives, why we can't cross over to the other side with him. The Lord gives at least three reasons, three explanations. Number one, the devil. He says, we receive the word, and then very soon after, the devil comes with his devices and pick the word and there's nothing. It's all gone. But we had received happily, joyfully, attentively, but it's all gone. 
and we're going round and round, round and round. There's no real spiritual growth. The second one, I think, is stony ground. Stony ground. And the third one, the third one is thorny ground. Tribulation and persecution. You see, we receive the word so happily, but when we go through tough times, we question God. And we say, why me? You see, the reason why we're saying, why me, is because we think that we are the more deserving. That's why we're saying, why me? I'm good. I'm a good Christian. Why me? If it's happened to that one, it's okay, but why me? And persecution. And then we are affected and we go down and down and down. And the third one is the thorny. Cares for this world. Pleasures of this world. Attraction from this world. The Bible says, he who makes himself friend of this world put himself in position of enmity to God. Because it's not possible. We are called to love God above all. We're talking about the world as a system. Not the world as people. We are called to love people. But the world as a system. We cannot sit on the fence. We have to decide. You see, those three things are holding us back from running, from working with the Lord steadily in our faith. So you see that great teaching has just been given and now there is a problem with faith here. So there was a very good reason that the Holy Spirit inspired for it to be ordered in that way because faith comes from hearing the word of God. The word of God is the raw material. Premium raw material for the faith. The Bible even calls it the permanent word of God. The truth of God is unchanging. Jesus Christ is called the word of God but he's also the author and the finish of our faith. He's all about Jesus really. Now, the only new information we have when you compare the three accounts is that in Mark here, it was towards the evening. It was in the evening. The second new information is that in Mark, there were other little boats as well. So there was Jesus Christ's boat, and other little boats as well. Well, the boat is quite familiar, popular in these passages here. You know, this boat here is the same boat the Lord used to speak to the multitude in the first place. He went there, sat there, because they were so pressed with so many of them, and went a bit further by the water and was speaking to them. It is the same boat that he used. The disciple joined him and he said, let go. 
They were certainly unprepared. He said, let go. But there were other boats there. Maybe with other people who had used them to draw closer to the Lord to listen or maybe fishers or I don't know. But they were different from the Jesus Christ boat. The Lord is sleeping in the stern of the boat and the disciple rebuked him for seemingly lacking to show concern about their situation. Now, there are varying interpretation of this. The most common one, we are told that we should do that kind of prayer. We are told that is the prayer of faith. We are told that is earnest prayer. But the context of this account contradicts that interpretation. The Lord doesn't seem to be happy with that. He doesn't say, oh, you men of faith. No, he looks at them. Why are you so faithful? Where is your faith? Let me see if I can see some variation here. Okay. In Mark, the Lord say, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? In Luke, he says, where is your faith? And in Matthew, why are you so fearful? Oh, you of little faith. So the Lord is not pleased with that attitude at all. So it's not earnest prayer. It's out of panic. It's desperation. Can you believe that? They are rebuking the Lord. And he rebuked the wind and the sea. We can become very specialist in saying things with no spiritual. It's not the right word. I don't, I don't have another one. Spiritual effectiveness. No substance. Empty words. Self-deception. These people here, the disciples, they have been with the Lord all along. That's not the first time he was doing a miracle. That song was saying, the wind and the storm cannot beat the sheep where the master of the universe lies. Dear brethren, we have to realize that. As we walk with the Lord, we have to trust him. That's another definition for faith. We have to trust the Lord as we're going. He knows us. He goes as far as saying, even the, the hair of your head are numbered before him. Not one bird goes down without him knowing how much more you, who was made in his likeness, in his own image, Brethren, we should not live like people who don't know God. Now, the Lord knows. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He knows what I need, and he will provide. That's what it means, I shall not want. He knows my need, and he will. That is a starting point. Remember, without 
faith, it is impossible to please God. Number one, he who comes to him must, notice must, believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the starting point is to believe that God exists. That's the Christian faith. God exists. We are not fabricating something new out of our mind. We're not copying something from somewhere. It starts with God exists. And we shall see. By faith, we understand. You see, the Christian faith is not a blind faith. No. We are allowed to understand. Doesn't God invite us to reason with him? Reason. Come, let us reason. The Christian faith is not a mere superstition. You see? The Lord is saying, look around. Evidence is there that I made these things. Look around. And humankind have no excuse because evidence is all around. Now, this passage here reveals at least two things. Number one, Jesus Christ's humanity. He was asleep. He was sleeping. That is humanity. He was sleeping. And his deity. He could change the course of natural events. Only God can do that. I remember there was a magician in America who uh, say he could replicate uh, that. And then uh, they set up for him well, a pool, a paddling pool, was about this height like this. And uh, you know, all the cameras were there. And uh, he was trying. He had rehearsed so many times, and he was trying that. And I said, no, that's not what it is. It's on the sea. The Lord walk on the sea. Got to do on the sea. Another one set himself a challenge to replicate all the miracles the Lord had done. He made a few paranormal tricks and then said, I must be honest that I cannot replicate resurrection. And he became a Christian himself because of the resurrection. You see, a true miracle is a violation of natural laws. Gravity. Try. Give it a try. Gravity. The Lord could do that. What about raising the dead? When you see what follows after this account here is miracles upon miracles upon miracles. People being healed. Remember that lady who had the flow of blood, 12 years, she was healed. Jairus' daughter was healed. That man who used to sleep in tombs, etc., was demon-possessed by a legion, legion of demons. And the Lord was able to overcome all that. That is power. That's the Lord God we belong to. 
he knows and he is able finally this event here encourages us to go to the Lord in all the storms of life knowing that the boat can never sink when if the Lord is in it with you we have to learn to know the Lord as we move forward with him we should not remain like children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine we have to seek the substance the Lord himself know the Lord in a personal deeper relationship daily the Bible does not promise a walk in the park now Remember in Act 14, verse 22? How they strengthened the disciples? Telling them that it's by many, through many tribulation that they will enter the kingdom of God. You see, that is honesty. That honesty. Because the Lord says, if they've done that to the green tree, what would happen to the dry woods? that we are. A servant is not greater than his master. We should be prepared. Prepared. Our blessed Redeemer and Lord is hated in this world. A servant is not greater than his master. If they hate the Lord, they will hate you too. Why? The Lord answers, because they don't have his word. And you cherish his word. In difficult time, in good time, the word of God. Till he returns. Let us cling on to him. Let us remain faithful to the Lord. He knows. Better. More than we think he knows. What is going on in our lives. Two days ago, I was told by my friend in America, she has a cousin who has been given a few weeks or so to leave. He is a believer, but he's very sad because he's spending the last times with his wife and the children, knowing that very soon they will be separated. But he is strengthened from within as well as being sad for his family. That is the blessed hope. We look beyond the tomb and the grave as believers. That's the hope we have. Now, let us cross to the other side. The Lord initiated this journey because he had a purpose in it. He wanted to reveal himself more to them in a greater dimension. Doesn't the Bible say if the Son sets you the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed.
false security and spiritual complacency is the main barriers working against the Lord's deliverance in our lives. Complacency. Fantasy. Counterfeit faith. Trials and challenges usually intensify as deliverance draws near. As we have decided to follow Jesus Christ, let us also be prepared to face persecution and hardship for his name's sake. But we need to keep trusting in him. Ken Ham refers to what he calls the Red Seas. Always. He told me that he always meets find himself in front of red seas all the time where he has to call out to the Lord. Well, that is an impossible situation. Think about that. How many were there? 600,000 men. Only men. Had children. If you consider that there was an average, I don't know what's the average number of size of family in Israel, but okay, let's say two. Minimum. Add ladies, maybe two million, with Moses in front of them, in front of the Red Sea, and the chariot coming there, very angry. No solution, solution, no way. But God, God, to whom nothing is impossible. Friends, our deliverance is in the Lord's hands. We have to trust the Lord God. We have to trust the Lord God. We have an instance where, remember in Exodus 5, when the Lord sent Moses to Pharaoh to ask him to let his people go to serve him. What happened? The Lord God initiated the project. Let's call it project. And Moses goes to Pharaoh. What happened? Things become hard. He said, aha, okay. Let's see what we're going to do. You stop giving them straws. Because they used to supply straws to them. They have a quarter, a number of bricks they had to do. But the raw material was there. And Pharaoh said, because of that, you lazy people, the taskmasters, you're going to stop supplying straws to them. That's number one. Number two, they will go themselves to find stubble. Stubble. That's not all. All over the place. That's not all. And they will produce the same quarter of bricks. Wow. It was really God who had sent Moses. Do you know what a stubble is? You know, when you burn a field, those little, because they didn't know where the real raw material was coming from. Maybe it was imported from somewhere. They didn't even know. They used just to find it at fingertip there and use. Now they need to go and find it themselves. Why? A straw is about this long. Stubbles are like this. They have to go and find them themselves. Come back and make the same number of bricks. Now, 
between the people and the taskmasters appointed by Pharaoh, in between, there were officers. Officers were Israelites. Now, these officers here, they were trying to be overzealous to please the taskmasters. They were the ones forcing people to execute those things. Guess what happened? They were beaten themselves bitterly by the taskmasters. What am I talking about? Where am I going with this? This word here is likened to Egypt and the devil to Pharaoh. He's got his own people who hate God. They hate the people of God. They are pressing hard on the people of God. And then you have people appointed by God from within who become afraid of Pharaoh and his system and start imposing the world system on the church. Wanting to gain favor from the world. It's not going to work. They're going to be beaten. And those are the ones who will incite the people against Moses and Pharaoh and say, you have given Pharaoh a sword in his hands to kill us. We were better in Egypt. Moses is trouble. Does not understand. Man of God goes back to the Lord. and say, God, look what is happening. The Lord say, peace be still. You see what I'm going to do. He has the mind of God. He has the revelation of God. He's at peace. Man of God and servant of the Lord. It's about time we seek the Lord. What to give to his people. How to conduct ourselves. Times are tough. We are infiltrated by people who want to erode our faith. This book, the word of God, must be upheld. Now, Jairus. Jairus is in the very presence of God. My daughter is dying. Do something about it. If you think about the Lord in a conversation with Jairus, who is completely desperate in a critical situation, and the Lord is listening to him, and something happened in between, if you were Jairus, standing in front of the Lord, pleading your case, and then something happened in the crowd, a lady who has been healed, and she slows down the process and she draws all the attention to her Lord. What has she done, etc. And Charles is standing there, Lord, come on. And, and, and that lady, and she's taking all the time. And the Lord finished with her. And he turned to Jairus. What was saying? By the time he started talking, his servant comes and says, Too late. She's died. Stop pesting the master. Your daughter's died. <sighs> right in front of the Lord. The Lord is not disturbed. He looked at him. Do not be afraid. Only believe. The Lord is undisturbed. The Lord is undisturbed. Now, if you see what's happening with that lady and Jairus there is like us. 
You see the Lord walking in someone's life and you're standing there saying, Lord, what about me? As if the Lord was busy that he's omniscient, omnipotent. He knows everything. He's dealing with your life too. Only believe. Open your eyes and you will see the Lord mightily at work in your own life. So, in Jairus' case, things have gone from worse, from critical to worse to des desperation. Completely. No hope. It's gone. Finished. Stop annoying the master. Your daughter is dead. C'est fini. Allez, finish. Nothing is impossible to the Lord. I don't know how the Lord does it. I don't know what he will do in your own life. But the Lord is at work. He cares for us. He knows us. He will restore us. In his own time, according to his own purpose, will and purpose for his glory. What we need is to believe and to continue to believe and to trust him hand in hand, slowly. In French, we sing this song, Pas à pas la main dans la main, la route devient sûre. Hand in hand, step by step, the path becomes sure, firm with the Lord. One step at a time with the Lord. Verse 36, the Lord Jesus Christ bought versus other little boats. Think of Noah, Noah's ark. Do you think when the flood came, other people were trying to fabricate their own means for salvation? Absolutely. He wouldn't stand. Because the Lord had given the model, the kind of wood, dimension, raw material, everything, was to stand against the level of flood that was coming. Jesus Christ bought. Now, with this kind of windstorm here, I can't begin to imagine what happened to other little boats. The Bible says little boats. I can't begin to imagine what happened to that. Make sure that you're traveling with Jesus Christ in his boat. He can calm. He will calm the storm. He will take you to heaven. He will take you to the Father's house because he is faithful. Make sure that we don't make a mistake to embark in a wrong boat. Remember in Acts 27, the journey to Rome, how the centurion was heeding what the helmsman was telling him and the owner of the ship, they were the experts. And Paul say, this is what God has revealed to me. Nobody heed it. Nobody listened to me. And when things begin to complicate it, Paul look at them and say, you should have listened to me. Friends, beware of the expert in this world. Beware with the experts. Psychologists, yoga, etc. Just three days ago, I went to my, our little one school and I uh, was made aware that uh, they were initiating them to yoga. He's four years old in reception. 
I went to see the teacher and I say, um, I've heard that our children are being initiated to yoga. I don't want our son to be part of it. And she said, uh, no, it's, it's not like adult yoga. It's just some stretch. I said, whatever it is, it's yoga. And I've got a bit of experience in terms of researching it. Yoga is yoga. I just don't want our son to be there. And she said, no, sometimes it's just this. I said, no, can we just agree that we don't want our... I said, oh, yes, but yes, can we just agree? And then she said, she tried to win the argument. And she said to me, yes, sometimes it's just... I said, wait, can we just agree that I don't want Salil to be part of it? And I've asked the family to diarize that so that I know that I had spoken to them. We parents, we need to look carefully at these things and not to be too busy and, you know, do something about it. That's a four-year-old. Initiate to yoga. And we parents, we don't know. You've got to be very, very careful. Now, faith and fear. In some version of the Bible, it says, why are you so faithless? So fearful is the same as faithless. Same word. Fear is the enemy number one of faith. And that's where the devil is working the most. Once he succeeds to strike fear in our hearts, it's finished. That will command all our actions. And that's why repeatedly, repeatedly, the Bible encourages us to be courageous, to not lose heart all the time. Because the Holy Spirit knows that that's where the devil will start. If he can attack our job, and we feel so vulnerable. If he can attack the family, if he can attack the church, if he can strike fear, Fear of not achieving enough. Fear of sickness, dying, etc. Breakdown of household, etc. That's the work of the enemy. The Lord is telling us to be faithful. To trust him day by day. We are called to resist the devil. We are called to resist the devil in faith. Now, resisting the devil, we have to be very careful here. It's not necessarily throwing empty words up in the air and threatening the demons. That's not what it is. Do you remember when Goliath was blaspheming? Do you know what was happening with the Israelites? They were shouting, shout of war, and then fleeing. That's not warfare. No. But people like that. You see a group of people, oh, we bind you, we rebuke you, we do this, we do and then the next minute... Resisting the devil is a matter number one of your position in Christ to start with. You fighting the good faith from your position in Christ. 
Because Christ is the only one who has overcome the devil and sin. So if you're fighting from that position, actually, it's Christ who is fighting for us. The position is more important than our human effort. The devil is very cunning. The Bible says we are not ignorant of his devices. Devices. I told you the other day what a device is. I gave you an example of a device. It's not an apple. Take a SIM card. That's a device. A lot of intelligence going on in a SIM card. A SIM card. A lot of information going into it. That's intelligence. That's a device. So when the devil come to seek to destroy, the Bible referred to his device. It's not a random thing. It's very, very calculated, properly manufactured, and it will come to you according to your love for Christ. It's unlikely that the devil will send someone to you and say, let's go and get drunk. But he will sit down and calculate, work on your weaknesses, and then release scheme towards you. We need to make sure that we are in Christ. Our victory is in Christ. It's not empty shouting, unnecessary sometimes. The position in Christ is very important. That is the defeat for the devil. The Lord Jesus Christ has given us power over sin. That's a great victory. Power over sin. Do you know what? You as a believer, you look at sin as temptation. The non-believers look at sin as an opportunity. Different understanding? Because Christ has changed priorities in you. Let's make sure that we travel in this journey of faith with Christ in the same boat. Faith and fear of the Lord start with the realization of who God is. God is the creator of all things. On the BBC website, there is an article, Reasons Why People Choose to Become Atheist. Number one, lack of evidence. Number two, presumption of atheists lack of evidence. <coughs> and they say they believe in atheists, notice belief, in atheists because there's plenty of evidence. And the key feature of that is evolution. There is evidence for evolution. And when I read that, I thought to myself, where's evidence for you falls? Where's evidence for unicorn? Tricol, etc. I don't see evidence. Yet it's there. You know, talk to talk to people, to children as evidence. Where's the green man? I don't see it. They reject God because they have enough evidence to reject God. The Christian faith, the biblical faith, 
start from the position that God is the creator. He created all things. Check me out. If you read Hebrews 11, before the Bible tells you the life evidence in people's life, it says, by faith, we understand that things, world were created. That's the Christian faith. That's the starting point. You see, we're losing ground if we don't come from that starting point. But you may call it presupposition. You may call it bias. That's okay. You may call it axiom. That's okay. You may call it world view. A world view is a foundational belief system. Is a point from which you perceive something. If I believe that God exists and he made you in his likeness, then I will respect you. But if I think that there's no God, we just evolve. I'm more evolved than you. Why should I make an effort to respect you? That would explain the rudeness culture in the society. Maybe that person is just a pile of junk. Why make an effort to respect them more sophisticated than him or her? Because they are coming from that bias that there's no God. There's no absolute morality. Everyone is set up his own rules. So, if we believe that God created this world, then God sets the rules and we have to live by those rules, which includes mutual consideration and respect. Humility. The Apostle Paul say, the athlete is not crowned if he does not compete according to the established rules. Now, one of those rules is I have to be humble. I need God to help me. We have to seek other people's interest. So you see, it's not just working, doing things for the Lord, but it's doing it according to the rules. Then we will be rewarded. No self-ambitions, no self-gratifications, but competing and serving the Lord according to the rules. Then In Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, we read, this is the story of the heaven and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, I call this verse God's signature. This is finished to do everything, and the Bible concludes, this is the history. No speculation. Very simple, confidently, this is the history, how you come to being, ocean, rivers, everything, how they were created. This is the history. It's not speculation. You read books, The God Delusion from Richard Dawkins, you find words like probable, improbable, might be, might have been, wow, 
that's not how the Bible speaks. The Bible says, this is the history of how God created food. Clear. We live in a society, remember we're talking about the Christian faith here. We live in a society where everybody believes in Darwinism. But did you know that Darwin believed and wrote in his descent of man, he wrote that men are superior to women in every sense. Let me give you the, the, an actual quote, <clears throat> if I may find it. Okay. In his Descent of Man, published in 1871, Charles Darwin wrote, the chief distinction in the intellectual powers of the two sexes is shown by man's attaining to a higher eminence in whatever he takes up than can woman. He goes on to say, thus man has ultimately become superior to woman, that if men are capable of a decided preeminence over women in many subjects, the average the average average of mental power in man must be above that of woman. In order that woman should reach the same standard as man, she ought, when nearly adult, to be trained to energy and perseverance, and to have her reason and imagination exercised to the highest point, and then she would probably transmit this quality chiefly to her adult daughter. Man is more powerful in body and mind than woman. Therefore, it is not surprising that he should have gained the power of selection. That's Darwin. Well, this is not spoken publicly. Well, there was a professor who said something like that. He's now in, ex in, in exile. I think it was a year or two years ago. He said something like that. And he was so intimidated, he left the country. All he could have done is to go in the media and say, I was quoting Darwin publicly. How many people know about this? Okay, that's enough. Now, there is a man. That man was a leading atheist for 60 years in the world. Leading atheist for 60 years. His name was Anthony Flew. He was a professor in philosophy of religion. 60 years, leading notorious atheist. He is the one who invented that theory of presupposition, presumption of atheism. He's the one who came up with the theory of hallucination. The disciple Jesus did not rise again. The disciple has hallucinations. It's him who came up with that. In 2004, he came to believe that there was a God. In 2007, he wrote a book. There is a God, how the most notorious atheists come to believe in God. 
Now, if someone like that is speaking, he has to be taken seriously. He spent all his life debating, leading Christians, researching for evidence of, for God everywhere. This is what he wrote when he changed his mind. And he gave the following reason for his change. I think the Christian religion is the one religion that most clearly deserves to be honored and respected. There is nothing like the combination of a charismatic figure like Jesus and a first-class intellectual like St. Paul. I would say the claim concerning the resurrection is more impressive than any by the religious competition. I think the claim that the claim that God was incarnate in Jesus Christ is unique. It is difficult, I think, to realize how you are going to judge this other than by believing or not believing. I cannot quite see that there are general principles to guide you in this. Wow, that's desperate for the academia. See, Anthony Flew said, you can't find an answer. You believe or you don't. You see, God himself is ahead of the game. He just said, believe. Do you know that story of that scientist, scientific scientist, who went by the sea and said he's going to solve the mystery of God. He's going to understand the mystery of God. And he went by the sea, retreat himself, and start thinking, where did God come from? Who made God? He was thinking inside. He started talking to himself. And he started shouting at the beach. Who made God? Can someone tell me? No. He was transported to the hospital. Mental health. Eventually for some help. No. You can't. God is so great. He's eternal. We are so limited. We have to believe. Hence the insistence for the Bible. Believe. Believe and continue to believe in the Lord God. Now, in Hebrews 11, we have the clearest exposition of what faith is and how it translates into people's daily life. We've caught that already. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, the list that is given in Hebrews 11, the list that is given, those people have one thing in common. What is that thing? They all died in faith. That was they have in common. The Lord God used them differently, but they had this in common. They trust in the promise of God. They saluted from afar. They did not even embrace those things in a telescopic way. They contemplate those things, trusting that God is able, looking to the city not made by man, man, man's hands. They trust God. They all died in faith, in the promise of a better resurrection to come. of promises given to them 
they contemplate them from afar. God was with them. And the Bible says that God has something better for us. That they should not reach perfection without us. And we are being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That's the faith we're talking about. From the apostle and from the prophet. Look at that list that is given to you there. Now, having given you that list from Hebrews 11, the Bible says this. As we are concluding, therefore, turn to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Because of what I've just said from Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the rest that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. Listen to that encouragement. Listen to that encouragement. The, this is the picture. When a team is competing, let's say a national team competing in a competition, they will always bring the former champions. They will come and speak to the athletes. They will encourage them. What they say and the advice carry more credibility because they have been there. They are champions. They know endurance. They know the traps. They know the tricks. They know the tape. So the players will listen to them very carefully. And when the players go to play, they play for different motivations. They loved ones, patriotism, the country. You know, when France won, I think Macron was in the stadium. So they did that for their president, for the nations, etc. So you have all those people saying, go, 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 go. And you're running, you see the athletes, they are very tired, you know, and people are cheering them and they try to give the maximum, they give and they give. As we are surrounded, by a great so cloud of witnesses. Who are they? Abel, you have the list in Hebrews 11. Abel, I'm asking you a question. Listen this morning to the cheering as you get tired with the work. As we get burdened and tired and discouraged in despair. Tossed from, tossed from every, pressed from every part. Listen to the cheerful, cheering witnesses. Abel. What is Abel telling you this morning? Give your best to the Lord. What is Enoch telling you this morning? Great witness. 
enemy this morning. You can be obedient because God is faithful. Thank you. What is Abraham telling you this morning? Listen to them. Listen to what they are telling you, Abraham. You can be the best friend of God. You can deepen your relationship and know the Lord God in your walk with him. What is Sarah telling you this morning, Sarah? Nothing is too hard to God. The Lord of the impossible, he will see you through. What about Isaac? What about Jacob? What about Gideon? What about Jephthah? Jephthah is telling you, it doesn't matter, I was born of a harlot. It doesn't make any difference before God. What is Rahab telling you? I was a harlot. It doesn't matter. God make no distinctions. What is Gideon telling you? I can fight with the Lord. What about Barak? What about Samson? What about David? What about all the prophets? Telling you, carry on. What about Paul? Paul. Paul is telling you, I've been there. Come on, brother, sister. I've been there. I did it. I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. Now I know it's laid up for me the crown that the Lord God in that day will give you, not only to me, but also to you. Come on, I did it. Run us to win the prize. Go on, brother. The cloud of witness are speaking to us this morning. The Christian faith. Carry on. Contend earnestly. Live with the Lord. Love him with all your heart. He is coming. On that day, we will see him as he is really. Are you suffering in your body? Paul is saying, even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. Carry on. May the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this thought you've allowed us, Lord, to share. Though we are unworthy and unqualified, O oh Lord Almighty, we want to be with you, Lord. For the rest of the journey, we are sojourners and pilgrims on this earth, Lord Almighty. Help us, Lord, to abstain from the things that war against our souls, O oh Lord. Deliver us, O oh Lord. Bring deliverance, Lord Almighty God. We need you, Lord, every passing hour. Thank you, Lord, for revealing your plans to us, Lord. We commit our souls and our lives unto your hand. And as we'll be departing shortly, Lord, we pray that we be with each and every one of us, Lord. Bless us, Lord, and strengthen us from within, Lord. And if, Lord, any one of us here is weak in his body, is ill and sick, Lord, we pray that, Lord, you bring healing and deliverance in the name of Jesus Christ. Raise us up, Lord, by the power which by you are able to subdue all things unto yourself. To you alone be the glory in the name of Jesus Christ.